Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the Outkick network, this is Outkick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Second hour is here. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. Monday edition. Glad you're with us. 6th and Peabody, our location. Yeehaw beer, old smoky moonshine. You guys have a good Father's Day? Felt to, to mention it that was, at, the, at the jump of the show. It was a lot of travel back from Gatlinburg oh, right. and Pigeon Forge, but it was it was good. Very nice. No we uh, relaxing. We had a uh, so relaxed. <laughs> you know, I'm always going to get my nap in. We uh, maybe two. Simon and I, yeah, Simon and I had a big game of cornhole. Uh, he was disgusted with his inability to find a rhythm. <laughs> um, and the night before, we had a big game of Monopoly, which. I hate generally, but he was reasonable at allowing us to put like a time limit on it. So the game had to have an end as opposed to playing out. And he kicked our butts. So There's got to be a world record for world's longest Monopoly game. It just goes you know? on and on and on and we on. We can, right? I'm just impressed that you know your child is at an age where he has the patience to sit through a game that it, long. That's the game he wants to play. I just I, I can't wait like, till I get to play a, a point. board game, and I'm like anything but Monopoly. I want to get he's to like, any like, no, point Monopoly. where my daughter can sit and even watch something for more than ten minutes. That's not uh, Nikki, Ricky, Don, and Doc, or whatever she watches right now. That's like a Disney Channel, like that's a not a bad show, show of the the uh, quads. You know what I'm talking about with the quads? Nicky, Ricky, Dickie, and Dawn. There you go. Thank yeah. you. That's what it is. So you're saying it could be a lot worse for Chad? Well, that show of all the shows. Is you you want to know what's funny enough, and I think you'll approve of this. The one thing lately that we can watch at night is Price is Right. Oh, yeah. There was like a, uh, a 50 year anniversary of the show, and Evie got into it. So she'll watch for like 10 minutes. She'll sit and watch that with me, and it'll keep her attention for that long. So m- maybe there's hope. Well, I am trying like heck to get him like. Uh, I, I I regret kicking him out like when we're watching a movie or a show and he's hanging in the living room saying, even if he's watching YouTube on his phone, being like, hey, bud, can you watch somewhere else? It feels terrible. So like I said, hey, let's watch a family movie. I'll give you five choices, you know, and I get I say miracle. Remember the Titans, E.T., Mighty Ducks, Bad News Bears. No interest in any. <laughs> in any of them? No. I mean, those are some classic. That's classic cinema. Is he also just, just not in the mood to? He wants to just go on YouTube now. Like he's not in the or mood just go to, to his sit own and watch a movie. And he, he's twelve. He still prefers an animated movie that is not going to have some awkward piece in it with his parents. Yeah, you don't need a, a love interest side story, right? Even like when we watch something that he likes, I can't think of the movie, but he knows there's a part that he asks me to fast forward through. See, I would, I would watch, even like as a teenager, I'd watch the movies in advance before recommending it to my parents to watch at some you know, buddy's you know house or whatever. To go to the and I would like leave, <laughs> Excuse go yourself. to the bathroom right before 
you know, Jerry Maguire was involved in an intimate moment with someone <laughs> in the movie. Like, oh, that, I knew that, exactly what the scene was about to happen. I'm like, I'm getting out of here before that awkward moment happens and not watch I mean, Later, you, I added the radio, uh, radio and the rookie. And then I said, Marley and me. And Teresa said, you can't have him watch Marley and me. That dog dies at the end. He'll be all broken up forever. Well, here's, here's what's great about Father's Day. I, Paul's actually, you know, uh, this makes me sort of feel bad about myself, but Paul wanted to do stuff with his child on Father's Day. <laughs> Most fathers just don't want to be bothered I, I by their kids. Really, I didn't really. Like when you get older, it's like, oh, yeah, come on, family. Come back home and let's hang out. And let's have a cookout or whatever. But I think moms are kind of the same way. A lot of them, like just you do everything to the no, to the dad. To like you take it. Like dads want to go take a nap, for instance. That they'd love to do that. Well, I felt badly because all of his friends are out of commission because they're doing stuff with their dad, and he was trapped into having nothing to do. So I slept in front of some of the early golf. Then I said I'd do some stuff, but I wanted to watch the end of the golf. Did you request the nap, or was the nap just a natural Sunday the, the process? The nap on a Sunday is pretty much standard. Uh, yeah, that's it was a day of the week, Jack. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did it end in why? Yeah, I napped, I napped on that. Day. Yeah, that's pretty much uh, written in. Um, so Tony Baselli gets into the Pro Football Hall of Fame this past year, and since then, this has been over the last what two weeks or so. Uh, Bruce Smith. Pro Football Hall of Fame uh, pass rusher from the Buffalo Bills. Everyone knows him well. Everyone knows Tony Baselli well. The first ever draft pick of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, left tackle, Hall of Famer. Paul, there, there is some, you know, Bruce doesn't like the fact that he's being used as the example as to why Tony Baselli had a Hall of Fame career. Or it's one of the tent poles of Baselli's Hall of Fame status when it was made in the, the the pitch or the case was made for Baselli to get into the hall. This is not the first time Tony's been eligible. In fact, it's been several years and he finally got in. Um, but I guess Bruce Smith found out that he was used as one of the reasons why Tony Baselli deserved uh, the, the Hall of Fame jacket in Canton. Yeah, so <clears throat> there had been a reasonable amount of discussion, I think it's uh, okay to say, about... Um, Baselli's game against Smith and I think an effort to get Smith to comment on that game I understand what Bruce Smith is saying but it's not like it was used against Bruce Smith it was used for Tony Baselli and so I'm kind of lost a little bit on this idea that you shouldn't um, shouldn't attribute the good things a hall of a potential Hall of Famer has done against another Hall of Famer in helping to make his case. Like, if you're saying a guy's a Hall of Famer and you're using what he's done against a clear-cut Hall of Famer, a guy who's in the Hall of Fame. An unquestioned guy, yeah. yeah I, I don't see how you could complain about that. Now, Baselli went on to say, you know, point out that he was a left tackle on a left-handed quarterback's team and the short career, which was the biggest thing going against Baselli. And then he shouted out three other guys who had really good games against him who were average players and said, maybe they should be building Hall of Fame cases. Look, he's entitled to his opinion. I don't, I don't think it makes him look real good that he, he's making it like Baselli's case is weak because it's built around his performance against me. And I think it makes Smith look weak that he's taking shots at a guy that was 
Yeah, he's all. But Smith is almost saying like he, these weren't really great performances. Like it, it was like he's saying that the, if you really have to pinpoint my career against another individual, that once or twice that we would play over you know twenty four to thirty games. He's saying that that's not a great case. Yeah, he I, said I it set, his exact words were, um, it sets a bad precedent. Bruce Smith says, Tony and I have no beef with each other, and they talked on the phone after all this happened. I hope and I'd like to see Tony enjoy this process, but I needed to address several of his campaign supporters because it set a bad precedent. Well, it's just a little bit of evidence over a career. Yeah. I don't understand what the precedent is. Does Bruce Smith think that, he got in solely because he had a good game against him? That that was a, hey, this is our one. I mean, that's why Baselli joking about, you know, there's some guys that lit me up that probably have a Hall of Fame case now. Well, that's one or two games. Right. This is just pointing to one or two games as part of an entire career's argument to highlight some things of what he did against the Hall of Fame. Yeah, right? and when- I see no issue with this, and I think Bruce Smith is being utterly ridiculous. Yeah, he looks bad. It's a compliment to him. If the argument is Jonathan Hutton's going to be in the Radio Hall of Fame because he held his own with Chad Withrow for 10 years on a show, and I'm already in the Hall of Fame, and I come back and say, wait a minute, I take offense to that. He didn't hold his own. Why are people arguing that? Don't you get that it's a compliment that someone played well against you and they're using that as an argument? Yeah, and pick a guy. Let's say Champ Bailey. Well, you think when, Champ, when we discussed Champ Bailey, we didn't talk about how he did against Marvin Harrison and – and, uh, you know, Michael Irvin and, and guys who were his contemporaries who were in the Hall of Fame, of course that's a part of his case. How did this cornerback, a candidate for the Hall of Fame, do against the Hall of Fame wide receivers of his era? That's absolutely part of building a guy's case. So, And also, Bruce Smith wasn't in the room. He shouldn't be getting a play-by-play of exactly how things went down in the room. Paul, I think you're the only one who does it, that actually abides by this based on the reports that come out of that room. So kudos to you for sticking with that because everything else someone writes about or a player finds out. So, yeah, it's crazy. But, in the details of these stories, I mean, someone's clearly saying something. Um, the, 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 the only odd thing to me with the story like that just seems out of place are the two guys involved here. Like... It puts Baselli um, in a terrible position. What's he supposed to say? Well, but these are hey, I waited a long relatively, time. I think I'm worthy, and I've said that time and time again. Yeah, and I respect the hell out of Bruce Smith. It's the fact that it's it's now right, which is random time, very random. Um, and it's after we all we we know the Hall of Fame class. Also, these are relatively quiet guys on the grand scheme of when you go to some all time greats for a quote. How often? I mean. Tony, we hear from Tony's on, because he's in broadcast. Yeah, he's he's on the game of the week, but and and, and a, a great guest, I, I, I might add, uh, and very talented. I'm, Bruce Smith knows the game uh, as well as anybody but based on his experience. But you don't. It's not like you see their name out there uh, a lot, right? And I, so whenever Bruce Smith speaks up and says this against Baselli, who's about to receive the Hall of Fame jacket. I'll raise an eyebrow to it because you, you don't see this type of discussion all the time where one guy who's in the hall calls the other guy who's about to who's in but we're about to see the induction and has to smooth things over where he says there's no beef. I don't know if there is an apology or whatever, but I mean, Tony's been known to pick up the phone and call somebody if he hears something that's out of line. And I guess that was kind of the same tone and sentiment here 
and it's with another guy who we don't hear from all that often. I, I think it put Baselli in an awkward and weird and unfortunate position because he didn't do anything wrong here. I mean, he wants to be in the Hall of Fame like every great player does. I mean, there were there was a case to be made against him, but I don't think his good good performance against Bruce Smith was part of the case to be made against him. Well, here's he should think Bruce Smith in his Hall of Fame speech. The, yeah, he needs to make a joke out of it. Yeah. Honestly, I, I, uh, I want to. Now that Bruce is here, I want to thank him for being the only reason <laughs> I'm here today. I want to dispel any notion here are those two that my career yeah. is the basis for me being here. It was one playoff game in 1996. <laughs> Just like Bruce said, here's what Bruce said in the entire statement. A large part of the campaign, Paul, you can agree or disagree or stay silent on this because everyone else in that room seems to talk other than you about this, which is good for you. A large part of the campaign to promote Tony Baselli into the Hall of Fame seems to be hyper-focused on a single performance he had against me in a 96 playoff game. On the one hand, I'm quite flattered to be considered the gold standard by which another player's game can be measured to determine his qualification into the hall. But on a serious level, I and other Hall of Famers, throwing others on the bus too, believe it sets a horrible precedent to negatively zero in on a standing member of the hall's play in order to validate the candidacy of a nominee. So I, I, I disagree with it on many fronts. First off, he's saying a large part of the campaign. Measured? I would say a portion of the case. And then I would say... It's not. It wasn't negative about Bruce Smith. It was positive about Tony Baselli. Bruce Smith is already in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> he got in because he's a phenomenal player. It's. It wasn't him having a bad game that's been picked apart. It was Tony Baselli having a good game against an outstanding player. Well, this is. I, I think this is even more points for Tony Baselli that he is absolutely worthy of the Hall of yeah. Fame. That this game still sticks with Bruce Smith. It is personal to him that he didn't do more in this game in 1996. This also is, is so over the top. He says, Maintaining harmony and goodwill in the Hall of Fame is paramount. It's precisely why player campaigns have historically been presented respectfully and thoughtfully, allowing the candidate's stats and complete body of work to speak resoundingly for itself. There well, was nothing disrespectful in the Bruce vast- Smith. I could say this. The vast majority of the positions, though, Paul, before you direct your attention to the camera, the vast majority of the positions have stats where you can back up an argument much more clearly than than an offensive lineman. Yes. So you have to go based on how he performed against some of the best pass rushers in the game who produce stats and numbers over a career that are Hall of Fame worthy. That's how we would measure an offensive lineman. There was no disrespect to Bruce Smith in any of the arguments pro Tony Baselli, and I was in the room for all of them. And cases are regularly made again with how a candidate did against Hall of Famers he went against. That doesn't make him disrespectful. That's asking, is he equal, comparable, deserving to be have a bust in the same room with those people? Was he, is he on their level? If he got shredded, if a guy's had a massive career, but he got shredded by all the bronze busts that he went against, that would be a strike against him. If he matched up well with those people, that would be a check mark for him. That makes perfect sense. This is also just a really funny shot from Bruce Smith. Tony was a formidable opponent during his brief career. 
Yeah, he doesn't like the brief see, career. They, they also That's said, the then, then he against. follows that up with, Paul, during my 19 years in the NFL, <laughs> several outstanding left tackles. I mean, this is personal. This is personal. Well, he you can say whatever he wants, but we don't hear from these guys often no, enough for it not to be No, he's got a problem. Personal. He's got a problem with any talk about Tony Baselli, and he's got a problem with the game he had against him, and he is still harboring a bit of a grudge because of that and any mention of that game. But you know where Tony, uh, where Bruce Smith would have been wise to have shared this information? Off the record with a Buffalo rep or anybody he trusts of the 48, now 49, I think, or I, I don't know the number off the top of my head, privately in that room. And well, I, I think... He should have shared it with whoever gave him the information about you guys talking about his game against Baselli. Yes, and people were trying to get him to talk about that game. He could have easily, off the record, told somebody, I don't believe Tony Baselli is a Hall of Famer. And that would have come up in that room, and that would have affected Tony Baselli's case. And maybe been enough to, to alter a vote or two that would have kept him out. Well, maybe, you know, maybe he's thinking. And, I'm just, and not gone public. I'm just looking at the other side of the, the coin here, trying to figure out why he wouldn't do that. Because it's common. I mean, he knows the process. Um, this is not Tony Baselli's first year as a finalist for the Hall. So if you don't think he's getting in, because he's, uh, he's one of the 15 every year, but he's never one of the five. Then you don't say anything until he gets in, well, and then you're like, "Hang on." He'd been in the ten, and if you're getting in the ten, it's pretty obvious you're you're advancing. And it was pretty obvious what was happening that offensive linemen were clearing out in a systematic order, and you know, he was next I, up. I, I think the tone was pretty clear that he was going to get in, but he wasn't going to be ahead of Hutchinson and Fanica and Moai, and. And then, you know, other things needed to happen where there was, was a year where there was room. And that, that's basically what happened. And Bruce Smith's smart enough to know that that's what's happening. If he, if he wanted his voice heard that he wasn't a worthy Hall of Famer, should have had it heard before, not after. Or you just want it out there because you don't like the guy. Like, I, I can't. It, it's hard to not read into it based on the timing of everything. He could have impacted it, though, if he, if, sure. if he oh, wanted Oh, for sure. Uh, Paul, you're now on the, uh, the coach and contributor committee for the hall when do you guys meet for this yeah i'm excited uh i don't know the whole schedule but i have a list of 37 that we vote to reduce to 25 by the 29th so i think i have what nine days to finish my reading on this and, and vote it's an extensive list you know buddy parker the the old time coach I, i'm really interested in some of these old timers Carl Peterson, you know, the GM back from the Chiefs. Marty Schottenheimer, Mike Holmgren, Mike Shanahan. Seymour Siwoff, the uh, Elias Sports Bureau founder. Um, Bud Adams and C.O. Bricado, the Oilers scout. Ralph Hay, who I'm amazed that is not in, who held the original meeting in the Canton uh, Auto Showroom that created the NFL. Seems to me like a guy, I, I don't understand how, just on that one occasion, from that one meeting, is not in the Hall of Fame is, is strange to me. Uh, another one, Chris Berman, who you know will have my unwielding support as a Hall of Fame. I look Famer. forward those to your are, Bruce Smith-like statement about the, his candidacy. Those are the types of people uh, on this list, and only one in, the, in this current cycle. Um, 23, 24, and 25, one coach slash contributor will get in each per year. year. 
of the next three, while three seniors will have the chance to get in but won't definitely get in. They wanted bigger representation out of the main committee, so they increased the committees from nine to 12, and I'm thrilled that I'll, uh, I'll have a little bit more of a voice in that. Coming up, the Browns are discussing another stadium, another billion-dollar stadium. They're, they seem to be next in line based on their lease. We'll give you the details here of that. Also, Tom Brady, Sean Payton, and the Dolphins. It was a story, but not as massive of a story as the headline that it was. And neither guy has denied this report whatsoever. We'll discuss what it means or what it could mean down the line for both guys and for the Miami Dolphins. All of that straight ahead on OutKick 360. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back and their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless from researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience. Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Add Cleveland to the list of the, the next team in line ready to work out a deal for a new stadium. Outkick 360 rolls on. It's all based on the lease agreements, where they currently are, and if they're going to get extended, how much money's going into the current stadium for upgrades versus rebuilding and having a, uh, a fresh new look with a piece of property that uh, the team could either move to or acquire within the downtown footprint or somewhere else. But based on where the Cleveland Stadium sits, you wouldn't want to move, I wouldn't want to move from where they currently are uh, in, relation, in relation to the city, the lake, and everything right there. This is a headline to provide some pressure as you look ahead to 2028, which is the final year of the lease agreement, if you're trying to get talks going uh, with the city, with the state government, or how are those things are worked out initially, to me, this is one of those tactics in order to get talks going. And uh, the report came from an odd source, uh, which was also told by the Browns that they were way, way ahead of the story. Um, but that's the same calendar that the titans that stadium opened i believe in 1999 i think that's right yeah and um you know i i I, that stadium feels like it's a lot better shape to me than nissan stadium well Um, but i also thought this so it's it's a one billion dollar stadium so that's the initial report who knows how much it ends up being but my my thought initially is that's all like you're you're willing to build a new stadium 
for a billion. And I realize a billion's a lot, but not Half in, co- of what not in compared. Like if you're doing it to get into some rotation to host other events, okay. Uh, you could also do it the way Washington's trying to do it, which is they're they're legitimately moving areas, which is not in a good area anyway. Um, and going to do it where it's going to be small and a dome and you know exclusive. That's fine too. They're on the low end of attendance. But guys, if I'm if I'm looking to just scrap what I have as one of the 32 teams and rebuild, um, and you're looking for for public finance involved with the private partnership, the private public partnership, I'm trying to do more than just box cutter, cookie cutter stadium, because from if if I'm on the city end of things, if I'm on the state end of things, how quickly are we going to be right back where we're currently sitting? you know, a, a decade or two from now, where the NFL and uh, the ownership in place wants a, a new stadium or there's going to have to be repairs because what we did on the cheap, even though it doesn't seem like it, what we did on the cheap is going to need to be upgraded years from now and you're right back where you are um, instead of trying to do a little bit more than what's necessary in order to sustain what you have. I, I, I'm with you. I don't think that you, uh, I don't think you need to build lavish. I don't think you need to be SoFi or Allegiant, but you cannot cut corners and be cheap. I'm sure hoping that's not what will happen here in Nashville. I think it'll be what it needs to be and really nice, but not extravagant. Don't be extravagant, but you've got to be nice and you've got to, uh, not have a 30-year expiration date. We can't have 30-year expiration dates on $2 billion projects. Um, now, if you're trying to be, um, you know, I, 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 Nashville's going to get itself into maybe not as frequent a rotation as SoFi Stadium and, and Allegiant because of Nashville weather and because of size of venue for the Super Bowl, but you know, for every two in SoFi, maybe you get one in Nashville, Super Bowl-wise or whatever, that's fine. And if Cleveland can build something that gets itself into that, maybe less frequent than that because of even more extreme weather, that's fine. And then I think that'll be the trend around the country. But all these buildings need to be 50, 70-year life. Yeah, and if you're going to take, you know, unless you are a billionaire, we, we drove, speaking of SoFi, you know, we drove by Steve Ballmer's project for the Clippers where he's funding the entire thing. It's two city blocks, and he's building the Intuit Dome that the Clippers will play in. It's all his money, and he can do that, and he's, you know, getting very little pushback or direction from the city of Inglewood as to what he has to do on that on that property. If you're going to take city government money in any way, then they're all going to be, at least have the capability of having a roof over it because you want year-round events because that's going to be the stipulation of the city. So if you really want to stick with outdoor football and you feel that's important to your franchise, you better have enough money to fund it on your own and build what you want. The other part of this that's it's, it's interesting moving forward is you, know, you mentioned it with SoFi that's not in necessarily what you would consider L.A. proper. It's a little bit on the outskirts, right? I know it's a big, sprawling area. It doesn't matter out there. Nothing is central. Well, you know, you mentioned that what's, it, uh, they need to be at that location in Cleveland. Well, do they? Yes. For eight home games? 
Downtown? Is that where, is that where their anywhere. season ticket holders they could be anywhere, want to go? But that's the place to be. I well, mean, I say that. Look, I, I get that. I, think so. I get that. Eighty-one home games is different from eight. All right, but the Braves are a model for it. Is much better where they are right now in suburban Atlanta, where their season ticket base is, with a full development in a stretch of properties that's residential, that's commercial, attached to it, with the Battery and Truist Park than anything they could have done in downtown Atlanta. I think Atlanta's different, though. though wouldn't you agree? That I, just I don't know enough about Cleveland yeah. to say one way or the other, but... I think you got to be downtown Cleveland. Richland Coliseum was was the Cavs' home for a, a generation. And was it Richland or Richfield? Richfield, maybe. It didn't work, um, and they came back downtown. You want to drive things downtown in a city like Cleveland, and that's prime real estate to the degree... I don't know, Hutton, if you have a better sense. Like, is there another spot on the lakefront right there where maybe Municipal was where they could build there and go back to parking where it is? I'd say go play it at Ohio State or somewhere for two years while you built there. They they have like 70 acres. The city of Cleveland owns 70 acres right there, lakefront. And it's right around the it, it, the, the same area from where the Reds, excuse me, where uh, you've got uh, the Indians, um, you've the got the, the right on the yeah, you've got the the Hall of Fame. You have the uh, the the Browns right on the lake, the Rock and Roll over, Hall of Fame. Over about. yeah, overlooking uh, Cleveland in the backdrop there. It, it's it, so what they want to do is similar to what Nashville's doing with the sprawl of shopping centers and condos and you know i in some in some form or fashion affordable housing um parking garages you know just have different things on this property that they own because you have the two uh ballparks right there and and instead i think the browns are or at least based on the report here are are thinking about okay if we we've got the lease here let's make some assurances if you're going to develop all this that we're getting the most out of this that we can before this lease expires and they want a piece of that pie just as long as it's I mean, in range of the map room our place yeah yeah oh the map room yes yeah it, we'll be back soon you got to go so big i think or just so not but, big it's got to have endurance like whatever you build now i i would think of it more of functionality for the future it's something that's going to be a space that can host your football team of course but that can host event after event after event for a longer period of time. But because see, everything is changing so quickly now, you want something you feel like is state-of-the-art, but also not going to be looked at as a relic 15, 20 years from now. Yeah, and the other thing is, look, I understand, and it's easier to do here in Nashville where the weather is relatively temperate. The weather has not been a big factor in Nashville outdoor football. Cleveland, it's, it's what Cleveland football is. So, you know, and Minneapolis has had back-to-back indoor venues now. So they took the, the weather out of it a long time ago, before really we got into the modern NFL. You're going to change Cleveland, which is a mistake by the Lake City, which is about, oh, you don't want to go to Cleveland in November or December to, oh, it doesn't matter. Well, I, that's, I respect the heck out of the Bills, you know, for sticking with that and saying, no, we're not going to build something indoors because we want that wind. We want that weather. We want these adverse conditions for playoff games. I, I love that. And we've sacrificed I hope Cleveland never concerts. changes. But my point, especially if you're Jimmy Haslam 
in that ownership that has made a number of mistakes with that franchise, I'm telling you, if, you, if you're coming to me as a billionaire and I'm the mayor of Cleveland or the governor of Ohio or whatever, fine, we'll talk business, we'll talk a public-private partnership, but I'm getting exactly what I want out of it too. And what I want is not as much concern about your playoff conditions for games. It's going to be when the playoffs are here, I want to have a Garth Brooks concert the next week in January in this, in this facility. And That's what the state and the city has to think about, right? Yeah, and it's not just that weather factor. It's more turf around the league, and turf has gotten better, but the injury numbers on turf are still worse than grass. Well, and this is, I mean, they, they are going to go for the retractable roof slash dome slash ability to close it in if you want to. But they want that, they, I think, the Haslam's and um, those involved early on in this process, for the Browns specifically, want the weather elements available to them um, given the climate during the fall and winter and the fact you can use that to your advantage, especially with all the wind uh, coming off that, that lake. It's something to, uh, some posturing early on here. But th- this does pick up steam fast, as we all know here in, in Nashville. Where, where are they on that, Paul? Have they, have they said anything updated We're since? Still uh, waiting to finalize this, the city side, which is uh, you know, emphasized every time it comes up. But it's going to get done. Uh, it's, it's a matter of, uh, you know, I think 2026 still sounds ambitious to me. So I would think maybe 2027. Cleveland may be the one city also where its residents actually would prefer just the football team have their outdoor facility and not care about other events. They may care enough about the Browns where it's like, no, we're good. There's going to be no pushback about getting other events in town here as long as the Browns are happy, as long as they get what they want with outdoor you know, conditions for winter games. Um, going back to uh, – this was a column through Mike Florio uh, last week. He, just, he asked a good question. Um, why we have not heard more about the Brady – and Sean Payton duo and the report through, um, was it the Palm Beach Post? It was one of the papers there that covered the team uh, reporting that there was a deal in place or it was being pitched to have both guys there this season. Um, and, and then everything went down with Flores uh, quickly after that. But even, even through the Flores lawsuit against the league, it's mentioned in there that there was an undisclosed player they were meeting with after the 2020 season on uh, the yacht with, uh, with team ownership. And the, unknown, the unnamed player is Brady in, in, this, in this whole story. Um, in any typical offseason, I feel like this would be massive, massive discussion because you've got Tom Brady and... Sean Payton, who at the time is currently coaching the New, the New Orleans Saints in the same division as Brady, and you have Miami, one of the rivals to the New England Patriots, trying to get Brady to come be the quarterback for them and help them win, not just win the division, but do the same thing he did in Tampa Bay. Um, and Florio was asking, if this were initially reported by Schefter, or by an ESPN reporter, Fowler, we just name, insert name here. 
this would have received a lot more coverage and more legs to it because it would have been debated every day, dissected every day, um, and, and covered in a way that it just simply has not been covered. And neither guy has denied anything specifically mentioning their linking up in Miami, which is very intriguing because that validates the report. Yeah, and even Schefter could have advanced the story, which came out elsewhere. That's true, uh, too. He's well connected to it. Uh, Don Yee represents it, um, both um, Brady and uh, Peyton. Well, why is Schefter not doing that? Well, put it together. Yeah, he put some theories out there. No, he's a Michigan guy. Yeah, Michigan. He's but, trying to protect his guys. That They told him, let's not talk about it anymore. And he's got sources with Ross and with Brady, and he's protecting his Michigan ties. I think well, he didn't. He didn't protect Brady's retirement plans. No, but I'm saying Stephen Ross is a little bit more powerful in the money realm than he is. I so he's not going with it for that reason. And he broke it, right? If he broke this story, he's reporting it. Right. He's not furthering the story. If Stephen Ross calls and says, "Disregard this Palm Beach Post story. Let's not get into it." I'll give you something else down the road. I think it's a little crazy for him not to advance it for that yeah. reason. But uh, it could be. I mean, that's what Florio speculated. That He speculates that NFL Network didn't advance it because there's a tampering element to it because um, there's uh, – the Flores thing is is kind of toxic that they don't want to get into it because there's a Rooney Rule element to it, um, all things that, that NFL Network would like to stay away from. But – NFL Network doesn't doesn't generally stay away from it. Does stay away from ownership stuff, and so I think it would stay away from the Ross uh, element of it, the the Flores element, which then automatically takes you to the tanking element of it. And I think it's in the indivi- indivisible from that. Well, the tanking element of the story has been covered up. Upright, left, you know, it, yeah, by everyone's else. talked about thoroughly that. covered. So it's not like people are avoiding it. Um, but the, specifically, Sean Payton and Brady, and the the thought that if if the Flores lawsuit doesn't happen, and then they fire him, which is a surprise at the time, if the Flores lawsuit doesn't happen, what would this off season have really mapped out like? Because Brady did retire for forty one days. Um, Sean Payton did not want to continue with the New Orleans Saints. He also stepped away, and at the time it was for a year. Um, I don't I know if we the see biggest... them link up again, but could we see them link up in the in the uh, the way that the the picture is painted is that he Brady will own some piece of the Dolphins at some point, right? As a part of this whole report was. You, you come play quarterback, and then afterwards you've got a piece of the pie moving forward. Um, that's where we could see the two actually become a tandem if they wanted to go that route. I think the biggest obstacle to the whole thing that was under-discussed, even in the discussion that was going on, was the idea that the Bucks were going to deal. Um, you know, And then Arians at the owners' meeting that I was at in Palm Beach said, what, like seven firsts. You know when he was asked about about dealing Brady in the in the I don't know remember what stage of this story it was, but he said you know for us to give up we have no interest in trading. I think Brady was retired at that time. Yeah, there was only speculation of him coming back. Yeah, yeah, no at the at the owners' meetings. 
Yes. Yeah, because this is where the story surfaced about uh, uh, Arians hadn't retired yet. And there was one story about him sitting at the hotel bar, kind of distant off to himself. Um, but I don't think the Bucks were going to trade him so easily or so. Uh, what, what, what would Miami been, have been willing to deal for him for one or two years of Tom Brady? And what would have done to the Fox deal? Which was probably probably nothing in motion at that time. Yeah, he just would have been playing for a different team because he's just going to start with Fox whenever. But you he's would done have thought playing. Miami would have intended for him to play longer. Like we're all presuming now, he's only going to play for a year. If you trade a ton to the uh, to the Bucks for him, you're intending for him to play two or three years. But what what realistically would the would the Dolphins have given up for him? Um, well, in this case, they'd have to trade not just for him but for Sean Payton too. Yeah. So they're giving up a ton in those two trades when he would have wanted to be surrounded by more than what the Dolphins had. They weren't going to be getting him Tariq Hill, Tyreek Hill. Well, they gave up a ton for him too. Right. Well, those picks would have been going for Brady and for They were Peyton. willing to trade for Deshaun Watson. I mean, they, like, let's just go back in time here. Like, they, they've been after the next quarterback for, for a while, even with Tua. They were after the next head coach for a while, even with Flores. So they would have really I, who emptied knows? the vaults if who they knows? were doing it. And if you're Tampa, if if Brady's retired and he's going to either stay retired or go play for the Dolphins, um, I mean, do you call his bluff or do you say uh, we'll take we'll take a draft pick in exchange for the rights to Tom Brady because we can use that to begin the transition of moving on, and meanwhile, you've got Brady for a year. Well, I think it would have been multiple draft picks. I think they ultimately would have given in, but I think it would have been multiple draft picks. Hit us up on Twitter, at OutKick360. Coming up, Stanley Cup Finals so far, not much of a series. Colorado cruising over Tampa Bay. We'll discuss the Lightning and whether or not they have another, another comeback in them based on what we've seen this postseason. That's next on OutKick360. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I don't know if there's a perfect game in hockey, but Colorado may have pulled it off in game two of the Stanley Cup final. Outkick 360 rolls on. They lead the series over Tampa Bay, two games to none. Series resumes this evening in Tampa. Tampa Bay, they're going for the three-peat. They're down 0-2 in the series. They were down 0-2 in the series to the Rangers and came back to win that series this year. Uh, there have been other instances where they've trailed in series. Toronto in the first round, they trailed 3-2, came back to win in Game 7 on the road. Uh, but this feels different. This is seven goals allowed this, uh, this weekend. Vasilevsky, that's the most he's ever allowed um, in, in a game. And it's tied for the second largest shutout win in Stanley Cup Final history. I mean, what... What Colorado has done, and keep in mind they did this after multiple layoffs. They swept the Preds in, in round one. They've only lost two games the entire postseason. Up until game one of the Stanley Cup final, their game prior to that was June 6th. So they've had like, they had like, what, 10 days off 
before they played, and they just keep on rolling. What they have compiled roster-wise in the salary cap era of hockey is incredible. Uh, with the young talent combined with uh, the, the playmaking stars and the moneymakers and just how dominant they can play at a moment's notice. You said the Avalanche have lost only twice in the playoffs. Neither of them on the road, which uh, is pretty remarkable. And uh, home teams are winning at a 62% clip. So that's what Tampa Bay is hanging its hat on tonight. And uh, they're going to have to break the Avalanche on the, uh, uh, at home in a way that nobody else has done through the playoffs. Vegas doesn't know how to, or what to expect here, or they're trying to sucker you in. It's one or the other, Chad, because right now it's, it's a pick in Vegas, or at least on FanDuel. Uh, meanwhile, we, there's no case to be made for Tampa in this. Their best offensive players have been shut out. I mean, just no chance at scoring. Stamkos, Kucherov, and others. So it's either a sucker bet to try to get you to take Colorado because it looks so easy that Vegas feels as though the lightning rebound, or it's just so obvious that you put all your money on Colorado and win. Which, which is it? As Rudy Tomjanovich of the Rockets you once said, you never sense? underestimate the heart of a champion. The Lightning will win tonight. They're not going down without a fight. They'll go back home and, and win. And I, I bet on them to win tonight. Here's what I – we've talked a lot about blowouts in the NBA in the playoffs, hurting the sport. I'm curious when you flip the two of them. You had blowouts throughout to lead to the finals. The finals were pretty compelling in the NBA. Mm-hmm. You had some good matchups throughout in the NHL. Then you could end with a dud. That's a collection of blowouts. In a four-game sweep, let's say, if this thing continues, what does the inverse of that do to your sport and the popularity of it? Or if anything at all, when you look at NBA versus NHL and this playoff run? We're going to find out. Well, if the Avs win this and win big, at least you're flipping off of a dynastic team. Yes, you're, you're building off of the, the star power of the previous two years in some way and passing the torch. This is a blowtorch of a team right now with Colorado. Yes, it is. Headlines coming up on Outkick 360. You're listening to the Outkick Network.